A reading from the book of Genesis. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the tabernacle in Mount, as Abraham sat in the entrance of his tent, while the day was growing hot. Looking up, he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to greet them, and bowing to the ground, he said, Sir, if I may ask you this favor, please do not go on past your servant. Let some water be brought that you may bathe your feet and then rest yourselves under the tree. Now that you have come this close to your servant, let me bring you a little food that you may refresh yourselves and afterward you may go on your way. The men replied, very well, do as you have said. Abraham hastened into the tent and told Sarah, quick, three measures of fine flour, knead it and make rolls. He ran to the herd, picked out a tender, tender choice steer and gave it to a servant who quickly prepared it. Then Abraham got some curds and milk, as well as the steer that had been prepared, and set these before them. As he waited on them under the tree while they ate, they asked him, Where is your wife Sarah? He replied, There in the tent. One of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will then have a son. Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, just behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and Sarah has stopped having her womanly periods. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, now that I am so withered and my husband is so old, am I still to have sexual pleasure? But the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I really bear a child old as I am? Is anything too marvelous for the Lord to do? At the appointed time, about this time next year, I will return to you, and Sarah will have a son. Because she was afraid, Sarah dissembled her, saying, I did not, didn't laugh. But he replied, Yes, you did. The word of the Lord.
When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion approached him and appealed to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, suffering dreadfully. He said to him, I will come and cure him. The centurion said in reply, Lord, I am not worthy to have you enter under my roof. Only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man subject to authority with soldiers subject to me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come here, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Amen, I say to you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. I say to you, many will come from the east and the west and will recline with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the banquet in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom will be driven out into the outer darkness where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, you may go as you have believed, let it be done for you. And at that very hour, his servant was healed. Jesus entered the house of Peter and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand. The fever left her, and she rose and waited on him. When it was evening, they brought him many who were possessed by demons, and he drove out the spirits by a word and cured all the sick to fulfill what had been said by Isaiah the prophet, he took away our infirmities and bore our diseases. Verbum Domini. Nothing is too great for the Lord to do. Nothing is too difficult, nothing is too hard for the Lord to do. He who created heaven and earth out of nothing surely can do anything that seems impossible to our human eyes. Our human logic is never God's limit. Our human reasoning does not limit God's capability to do what human reason tells us impossible. Nothing is impossible with God. 
Sarah could not accept at first the truth that she would bear a son when she's 90 years old and her husband Abraham almost 100 years old. Yeah, human reason and human logic, everyone would say, that's crazy. Yet Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Isaac, the line when, where our Lord Jesus would come forth. Nothing is too marvelous for the Lord God to do. In the opposite extreme but similar area, God accomplished marvelous work in our Blessed Mother, the Virgin Mary. She conceived the Son of God made flesh without any intervention of any man, but of the Holy Spirit. Again, nothing is too marvelous for the Lord God to do. A servant at home lying paralyzed and suffering dreadfully in human eyes and human logic, that servant would face death soon and not much hope left. Yet the Lord God had mercy and was most ready and willing to come and visit and see in person this servant of a centurion. Centurion is a soldier who's in charge of many soldiers under him. He knows what authority is about. He knows what being subject to an authority is about. He knows those who are subjected to him. And Centurion is typically, typically not known for his faith or not known for his prayer life or not known for his devotion to God. In fact, we don't really know much about this Centurion. We don't even know his name. Yet there's something special about this particular centurion who is nameless to us at the time, at this time. There's confidence. There's confidence he has in Jesus, the ultimate wonder worker. His heart and soul move to approach the eternal word made flesh with great confidence in a way as his last resort of hope. There's also the degree of faith this particular centurion has in our Lord that the Lord is so amazed and so impressed that he wills that many people, generations after generations, including you and me, use his word before we receive our Lord in Holy Communion. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. We're using the very word of the centurion. Nothing for the Lord God is too marvelous to do what he wills, including healing and restoring this paralyzed and suffering servant of this particular centurion. The Lord's word came through as it came from his blessed mouth. At the very hour the Lord dismissed the centurion, that's 
when the centurion's servant was healed. Nothing too marvelous for the Lord God to do. You know, healing Peter's mother-in-law from fever, delivering many who are possessed by demons, and curing all the sick. Nothing too marvelous for the Lord God to do. Our Lord Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Still, nothing too marvelous for the Lord God to do in our own time, for our own needs, for the church's needs, and for the world's needs. Nothing too marvelous for the Lord God to do. This includes the changing of bread and wine on the altar to become the very flesh of the Son of God made man, Jesus Christ. If he created heaven and earth out of nothing, it surely is not too marvelous or not too hard for the Lord to change something into another thing. In this case, from simple bread and wine to be the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. Nothing too marvelous for the Lord God to do. I've quoted this before, and I never get tired of quoting this again. You may get tired, perhaps, but I never get tired telling you about this. St. Faustina once wrote in her diary, one act of trust or one act of confidence or one act of hope one act of trust at such moments of suffering gives greater glory to God than whole hours passed in prayer filled with consolation. One act of trust at such moments of suffering gives greater glory to God than whole hours passed in prayer filled with consolation. Oh, we all like that. We all like to go to church. We go like to go to the chapel and come before our Lord's presence. We like this consolation, this feeling good, this feeling so close that the Lord is to us. Imagine that multiplied by, let's say, eight times, eight days, a week's worth. The whole week, we go to a holy hour, we have this great consolation from the Lord. Compare that with one moment in the moment of distress, in the moment of suffering, great suffering, and then we say, Jesus, I trust in you. That little moment compared to the eight hours of holy hours filled with consolation, close to God, feeling so good with God, that one little moment of saying, Jesus, I trust in you, gives greater glory to God. And our Lord revealed privately to a Benedictine monk about having confidence, having confidence in God's goodness, especially in the midst when we think things are too big for God to do. He said this, this is, he's saying this to the priests, Benedictine priests, 
And he's especially saying to all priests, but let these words be yours also to you. When you seek to reason out everything, to know everything ahead of time, to control everything by human means, you keep me from acting as the God of love that I am. I ask neither for ability nor for great preparations on your part. I ask only for confidence, your confidence in me, in the love of my open heart for each one of you. You do well to say the little invocation of Jesus, King of love, that I inspired. When nothing is clear, when nothing is foreseeable, it is the moment to make many acts of confidence. You will repeat them as often as necessary, and in them you will find peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, his word is true. Put it to the test. Try it yourself. Try, just remember it. The moment that you're having difficulty, the moment that you're all stressed out, the moment that you're just frustrated, whatever, you can't understand what's going on, put that into practice, what the Lord said. Jesus, I trust in you. And this, this prayer that he talked to the Benedictine priest, oh, Jesus, King of love, he started praying this, and this becomes my my uh, very own that I personally have been praying throughout the day, especially when I'm stressed out about certain things, about certain circumstances that I deal with. I often pray this now, and I found it true what the Lord said. Repeat it as necessary, however many times you think you need. Repeat it, and you'll find the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that's so true. Oh, Jesus, King of love, I put my trust in your merciful goodness. Oh, Jesus, King of love, I put my trust in your merciful goodness. Not very long, or simply put, Jesus, I trust in you. St. John Paul II once said, those who sincerely say, Jesus, I trust in you, will find comfort in all their anxieties and fear. Try it. Use it. You know, it's not just meant to be written on the bottom uh, of the image of the divine mercy. It's not just for, for look. We're supposed to use it, say it, pray it when we're in fear, when we're in anxiety, when we don't know what's going on. Pray it, Jesus, I trust in you. Nothing too marvelous for the Lord God to do. Trust in him. Have confidence in him. Be like the particular centurion of the church that the church presents to us today, 
he had confidence in the Lord. You know, there's, there's one word that's, I, I didn't really get into it with this today. The, the gospel used the word amazed. There's only one time, I don't remember exactly where right now, but there's one time that, that the scripture also said the Lord was amazed. But in that context, it was a negative amaze. He was amazed that the people were lacking in their faith, lacking in their confidence. But this one, with the centurion, he was amazed at his faith. He was amazed at his confidence. Be like the particular centurion the church presents to us today. He had confidence in the Lord. He trusted in the Lord Jesus. He believed in the sovereignty and the lordship of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Let us also believe and have total confidence in the merciful goodness of the Lord our God and Savior, Jesus Christ.